Amen. Good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, July 29th, 2018. And the title of today's message is Bows with Bows. Bows with Bows. Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping that everyone knows what a bow is. Back in Louisiana, we often had uh, dances in the high schools called Bells and Bows or beauty pageants called Bells and Bows for the most handsome young men and the most are the most beautiful young ladies, the most debonair young men. So we're going to talk about bows with bows this morning. Hey, it's gonna, it must be going to be a good service because I've already got half the prison team, team standing in the back. They are ready to go. They're not even going to try to sit down this morning. They're just going to stand the whole time. I love it. Thank you, prison team, for getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning and serving at a prison every Sunday morning. I know I haven't told you guys this in a while. It's been a little while since I've gotten to say this, but... Uh, Man, I really do love my church. Just this month, think about it. We've grown and been challenged by our eschatology series. What kind of church does that in the middle of summer? That's incredible. Most churches are having their summer at the movies where the pastor can be off somewhere and they videotape the entire thing. They've just mailed it in. We did an eschatology series and just finished that last week. Wasn't that a powerful time that we had together? We've had sermons telling us to put our clothes on, to dial in our discernment. And to redeem the time. People are getting saved, spirit-filled, water-baptized, and set free in every possible way. Come on, that's an incredible time. Pastors already mentioned a few of them that are in that fall in those categories. God is adding to our numbers daily. What does that sound like to you? Yeah, it sounds like the book of Acts. That's exactly what's supposed to be happening in the house of God. Our Monday night foundations from the book of Judges have been soul-stirring. They've been something that should be setting our hearts ablaze. If you have been missing out on Mondays at Foundations, you need to be there. You need to hire the babysitter. You need to get off work early. You need to do whatever you need to do because it's been amazing. That doesn't even take into account the tremendous things that are happening in our homes and on our work sites. Men who are striving and victoriously walking in their mezuzahs on a daily basis. When you add to all that the mission trips that are right around the corner... This should encourage each and every one of us of what God is doing in our midst. Are you encouraged this morning? Hey, don't lie to me. I'm not going to lie to you. Are you encouraged by what's going on in this place? Or have we been battling so hard that we forget to take a moment and be encouraged by what the Lord is accomplishing in our midst? Yeah, I, I tend to be that way. But did you feel the victorious, mighty presence of God with us this morning? Amen. Reminding us that he has a strong arm and he will be mighty to save us in every situation. Just in my intro, have you noticed uh, something? The miraculous and divine events that happen away from this building, away from our actual service times. Do you realize that most of the miraculous things that happen in this church are outside of this building? Actually, most of them happen in the Piro home. So you just need to show up at the Piro's house. Whatever you need, apparently, that's what the Piro's got. People getting saved and delivered over there, getting water baptized in the pool. Come on now. This is the kind of church that you get to be a part of. This is what we've been created for. Would you turn with me to Judges chapter 7? Man, I want to get in the Word today. Judges chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1. It says early in the morning. Guess the time when all great things happen. I don't know. Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. 
The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many people. You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. Boy, don't you like the Lord to tell you that? David, you have too much resources. Daniel, this is going to be too easy because you're too capable. Yeah, we don't think that the Lord speaks like this, right? Isn't it our mentality that we're always lacking in something? Don't you go? Most people go into most days thinking that they don't have what it takes. Yeah, that's not the the victorious church that we're building here, that the Lord is building here. He says, uh, yeah, Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. Why? In order that Israel may not boast against me. Oh, there's the real issue. The real issue isn't the number of men he have. The real issue is uh, if I do this, you're going to think in an erroneous kind of way that you had the strength to accomplish this. You're going to actually forget that the Lord himself was the one that moved upon your heart and gave you the strength to do it. Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now. Everybody say now. Now. I love the way the Lord talks to the people. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. If you're scared, you can go home. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. I know that we're familiar with this story, but let's look at it from this perspective. A revelation that has come to this house that I want to bring back up to us today. You realize that 10,000 men passed the bravery test? 10,000 men had no fear. They were ready to rumble. They were ready to go after this. Hey, I like that. I like that we're building a church of the 10,000 here, not of the numbers, but of the bravery of what it took to be able to stand before there. Let's look at verse four. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you just thought I limited you before. Man, what, what, what happens when something gets taken away from your life? When that extra thing that you were counting on is now gone. When that extra bonus that you were, uh, by the way, if it's a bonus, how can we count on it? But we do, don't we? If it's a Christmas bonus, you get mad if you don't get your Christmas bonus. At least I always did. <laughs> Started counting on it and planning on it for Christmas time. Hey, we can't do it this year. Here's a $25 gift card. <sighs> what happens when the Lord not only limits you once, but he limits you a second round of it? There are still too many men. Again, you think it was the number? You think it was the people's hearts? Even with 10,000, we got 10,000 against 135,000. Take the men down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. Everybody say sift. Sift. We have a God who sifts and tests us. He refines us. That is his good pleasure to do so. I don't want to look at this story today like a success and a fail test that we're having here. This is the Lord sifting to make sure that the right people get in the right place at the right time. If I say this one will go with you, he will go. But if I say this one will not go with you, he will not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouth and the rest got down on their knees to drink. And there's a lot of ways to look at this. You could preach this a lot of different ways. But what we're going to lose, continue to read here in verse 7. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that laughed, I will save you. Man, aren't you glad that the Lord can save you? And he could save me to start with. And give the many nights into your hands. Not only can I save you, but I can cause you to be victorious. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions 
and the trumpets of the others. Man, as I think back on this, what I want us to focus on, we have 300 men who were sifted and tested and chosen. But what about the others? They all went back to their own place. And the 300 were able to do something. Those 9,700 that left and went back to their own place, Curtis, they were able to live their, leave their provisions and their trumpets with the men who were about to go into battle. Amen. 97 men got to go home. 9,700 men got to go home. But not as failures, my friend. They were undoubtedly some of the men who later on in the chapter helped to conquer the enemy in full force. They were brave men in their own right. They had passed the bravery test. But what they were allowed to do, their part of this fight, was that they were allowed to share provisions with those who had been chosen, in fact. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Let's look at verse 1. These were the men who came to David at Ziklag. While he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish, they were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows. Everybody say, with bows. And were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones right-handed or left-handed. They were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, that's kind of a neat thought, isn't it? How many people are right-handed in the room? Majority. How many people left-handed? Anybody ambidextrous? Some of you left-handed ones did both. I see how you want to be, right? You have these men, and it's not just that they could uh, write. They have learned to be skillful with weapons, to do a slingshot or a bow and arrow, either right-handed or left-handed. What does that mean? That means that no obstacle that the enemy could throw in their way would even slow them down. You're going to try to stop me from going this direction? It's fine. I'll just do it over here. You want to, you want to throw an obstacle here? No problem. I got it on this side, too. We're seeing some warriors that are built here. And by the way, these are some of the named of the 30 fighting men that David had. These are mighty, mighty fighting men that they had. Let's look down further in the chapter since you're in 12. Let's look at 12 and verse 32. Are you with me? It says, men of Ishakar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, about 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. We're going somewhere here this morning. We're building the idea that we are, in fact, in a battle. What you heard from worship today was a battle cry. It was to remind us that we are in the battle and we're fighting. We're taking a moment here to celebrate what it is like. We're celebrating what God is doing in our midst. We're celebrating the fact that this is a group who have passed the bravery test. Many of you in this room are passing that test. You're doing what the Lord is requiring of you. You are trying with all your might. And we know that we may not be chosen for every excursion, that every small battle may not be the one that we're in, but collectively, we're going to have the resources to share with each other. We're going to be people who are being trained that we can use our weapons either right-hand or left-handed. It doesn't matter. There's not going to be an obstacle that comes that we go, yeah, now I don't have a shot. Now I don't know what to do because this is all the enemy had to do. We're going to be men and women in this place who can fight with either hand, who can do what God's calling us to do. And we're trying to develop men who understand the times. Come on now. Anybody ever got a revelation from hearing somebody teach in this place? 
You may have got a revelation from the Lord of, of just in your own personal study time. Come on. Men who can understand the times, who can look at it and decide and understand what's to do. Now these guys aren't only, they're not only warriors. They are warriors, but what are they? They're chiefs. They're Nagadim. They're princes with the Lord. They are chiefs in the army. And what happens when you get a chief that's well-trained? You get a bunch of people who can follow a chief. You get a bunch of people who can be launched out from under what these men understood and were going through. Well, turn with me to uh, Psalm chapter 127. Psalm 127. We're going to start in verse 1. If we can understand the principles that the Lord is speaking to us about. If we can allow them to be put into practice in our life. Or we can be ambidextrous with them. We'll understand the times and be able to be useful to the king. 200 men of Issachar. 300 men in Gideon's day. Who were able to lead that routed an army that was 450 times bigger than them. What an incredible thing. In Psalm 127.1 it says this. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early. Being a person who likes to stay up late, I like that. Oh, and stay up late. (laughs) Toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Verse 3. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Man, I look over the treesters and see uh, many arrows getting put in their quiver. Look at the young Stevens with arrows getting put in their quiver. Look at the Smiths. Man, I look all over this church and I see arrows in our quiver. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the city gates. This idea of having arrows that are launched out, having arrows that can be shot forth, pulled from the quiver, and launched out. Man, what an incredible thing to think through arrows and bows that we have. title of today's sermon was Bows with Bows. As we think about these arrows, think about our church for just a minute. Can you think with me for just a few minutes? An arrow that was sent out that landed in Crystal Lake right outside of Chicago with with, uh, the Arising Church. Arrows that were sent to submission ministries in Gainesville, Virginia. Arrows that were sent to New Life down in Victoria. Arrows to help reestablish a church in Baton Rouge. Arrows to go to Indonesia, literally halfway around the world. Arrows that have now landed in Peru. Arrows that are soon, that are in mid-flight. About to land in the Aswan region. Come on now. Launching something out. Those arrows that fly straight and true. Looking at the history of our church. Arrow after arrow has been launched from this bow. From LCM. And it's flying. Some might even say it's being propelled ever faster. With ever increasing accuracy to the exact bullseye of God's target for them. What about in your life? I got to tell you. When I landed here at this church, I feel like it was a bullseye for my entire life. 
I feel like I have found a place that I don't ever want to leave from. I don't ever want to leave this place. I've been in other churches, and I knew right when I arrived, praise God, this is exactly where we're supposed to be, and we're not going to be here forever. I want to grow old here in this church. I want to see my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids grow up here in this assembly or wherever it is that the Lord may launch them out like arrows to. Make no mistake about it, we will not stop launching arrows. While we can and will celebrate the arrows that have gone forth, we will certainly not rest on our laurels. We won't back up, shut up, or let up until each of you reach the target that God has assigned for you. We're going to make sure, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that you're launched out and that you hit your target, Cody. We're going to make sure of that. We're going to do everything within our power. What is the, what is the issue? This is a child's longbow. What is the issue when you first get planted in a bow? What happens? Doesn't, doesn't it look like you start going away from what you think that God had for you to do? Anybody ever felt like that? You, you come to church and you're excited about something, man, you feel like you're called to ministry and what happens? Wait, 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 I'm going the wrong direction. Or that's not, I'm supposed to be propelled forward. But what happens without that tension on the line? What happens if you just try to launch an arrow with no pullback? Congratulations. You've now been launched. (laughs) What I want to talk to you today is about this simple concept of a bow and arrow. What if you're in a place where the Lord is honing you to be able to fly straight? He's adding the right kind of ballast to you. He's adding the right kind of shaping to you that you might fly straight and true. That as the divine archer puts his hand to the bow and he sends you where you're supposed to be, it will be a bullseye. It will be a bullseye. He's going to shoot you to that target. But what it's going to require is some tension in the bow. It's going to require some things that it might feel like you're going away from what God actually has for you. But if you're in the hands of the archer, he's going to launch you out. Man, we think about this so much. I think about this concept so much. But what is an arrow without a bow? I guess I could take this and try to throw it. I won't. Because we've got a lot of little kids around. I mean, if I just hauled off and threw it as hard as I could, it'll do what it does. I doubt that I could throw it right where it hit where I was intending. What happens when you start using the bow correctly? Boy, think about that. Think about what, what, this is, what this is causing us to look at. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's look at verse 13. As I was thinking about this idea of bows and arrows, those who are to be launched and those who should be launching... I was brought to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13. It says this, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Everybody say exposed. Exposed. 
posting them by families. Come on now. With their swords, their spears, and their bows. We've got the up-close battle with the swords. We've got it taken care of. Something gets in close to us, we can handle it. We've got a spear for those mid-range things. And we've got our arrows to launch out into the deep. We've got our arrows to take care of the long-range weapons. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Guys, we're in a battle. We're supposed to be fighting against the enemy. This is what we are supposed to be doing. But what does it take to be a sending church? If we're a church that sends people out, what does that take? It means we've got to be raising up some arrows, ready to get launched out, honed, refined. And we have to have some bows to send those arrows. Let's turn to Psalm 18. Psalm chapter 18. You heard Pastor Matt even sing a song that had part of this in it this morning. Psalm 18 and verse 30. It says this, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my fear like the the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Wow. There's all type of bows that you can get. The Bible's talking about your arms having the strength to rightly bend a bow of bronze. To rightly understand the judgment of God. To rightly bring about His purposes in this world. Come on, let's, we're gonna, I want to take a look at some people who actually show the concept of bows and arrows in their lives. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7. <clears throat> it says this, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. In Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned. Can I just stop for just a second and encourage you? The Lord sees what you're going through. He's concerned. He hears when you cry to him. He's concerned about suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the city, the cry of Israel, the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. Everybody say go. Go. I am sending you. What does that sound like? Sound like in this moment, Moses is designed to be an arrow. I have a purpose. I've heard the cry of my people. Now go. Boy, isn't that a fun thing when you finally get to go? The tension right before the, the starters with the gun goes off. The tension when you're waiting on something and you're ready to go, but you can't go yet. Am I the only one that's ever felt that? And when you hear it's time to go 
and get launched out. This is what's happening to Moses. God heard the cry. God calls Moses and he says, now go, I'm sending you. Clearly, he's being an arrow here. I'm sending you, why? I'm sending you to a person, to Pharaoh, for a purpose, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. My friends, what is God sending you to? What is your purpose? What are the people, who are the people that you're supposed to reach today? As God sends us. And, but what we know is that as Moses goes through this, let's turn to Exodus chapter 18. There's an incredible thing that happens. In Exodus 18. Moses is sent. Now go. He's like an arrow that flies straight and true. Accomplishing what God wanted him to accomplish by bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. And let's look in verse uh, chapter 18 and verse 17. It says this. Moses' father-in-law replied... What you're doing here is not good. Man, what a, what a great thing to have someone who's in your life who can speak to you. Even Moses needed that. What, are you, what you're doing here is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Moses was staying from the beginning of the day, all through the day, hearing people's cases brought before him. He says, the work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. Man, that's a great prayer. May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Give them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. What's happening here? What's happening is Jethro is saying, yeah, you can't stay the arrow. What you have to do is you have to become transformed into a bow. If you always try to stay the arrow, the one that is actually hitting the target, instead of at some point changing your function and becoming the bow, what happens? It could become too heavy for you. It could become too much for you. It could become that what you are in fact doing is not good. Why? Because, and we see Moses shifting here. We see him shifting from one to another. This is the goal of a Christian. Can I just tell you that? It's the goal for you to find your mark and be launched out and hit it exactly in the bullseye. And then, what happens when you hit the bullseye? What happens when you get to LCM and you're me? I'm done. Completely done. Nope. Now there's a shift. What happens when our friends get to a swan? They're done? No. There's more launching. There's more to do. There's more to be had and seen in what the Lord wants. We've got to be able to make this shift. Look in verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and he made them leaders. (laughs) Made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses and the simple ones they decided themselves. Did you hear the things that, that Moses did there? He chose capable men. The Bible says that he made them leaders. You know, the way I've always read that is he appointed them to be leaders. The way I was thinking about it today and the idea of this bow and arrow is that he actually made them into leaders. He didn't just appoint them, but he helped them along the way and made them into leaders. 
He became a bow that was launching their arrow to hit their purpose. He became one who could speak into them. Made of the same type of material. One just developed differently. One that has extra tension. One that has extra things that have been added to help someone else fly straight and true. Moses chose capable men. He made them leaders. It just hit me in such a unique way today. How do you choose capable men? How do you make leaders? How do you launch people who are capable to serve at all times? They serve as judges at all times. That's what we're trying to get into today. Let's dig a little bit further into this example. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I couldn't think of a better example than what we're about to read for someone who is not only an arrow, but clearly in the word of God, we can see that they had the function of a bow. Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. You guys there with me? It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called, called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the disciples' feet, the apostles' feet. We have Joseph. The name Joseph means he adds or he increases. Joseph was a man who was an arrow. He got shot out. He knew exactly and was hitting his point. And we're going to see this repetitively in these scriptures. But he added so much to other people that you know what he became? He became the son of encouragement. He became known as one who launched other people out, Paul. He became that person. And by the way, this is not just son of encouragement like, hey, you're doing good, Nat. Way to go, Keith. The idea is that he is a bar naba. He is a son of prophecy. He is a son of prophetic teaching. He is a son of the word. And that word becomes what people see and what it defines. This man named Joseph, who we call Barnabas. What an incredible thing. The arrow Joseph becomes the bow named Barnabas. Let's look at Acts chapter 9. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 26. It says this. When he came to Jerusalem, this is Paul, uh, Saul coming to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him. Uh, we can kind of laugh at that now, right? They're all afraid of him. Yeah, he was the guy going around killing people. He, there was a reason that they were afraid of him. Not believing that he was really a disciple. Yeah, well, I could see why. It would be hard, a little bit hard to believe, wouldn't it? Anybody ever had any friends? Oh, come on now. Anybody ever been the person who people were like, you got saved? Really? Really? No, man, we grew up together. I know, I know what Trista was like. Like, that dude is called to go to Israel. He's going to be launched out. Really? That guy? No, no, no. Yeah, that guy. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Um, Barnabas took him and brought him. If I'm going to go home and uh, get one of my kids and they're going to come with me, I will go home and... Take one of my kids and bring them somewhere. 
If I'm going to go to uh, Elder Bosch, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to take him <laughs> and bring him anywhere. I'm going to ask him to come with me and we might go together. Well, what I'm trying to establish here is that Barnabas had the authority to say, hey, I see what's going on in your life. Barnabas went over there, found Paul, said, I'm, you come with me. You, no, we're going to go walk over here and we're going to talk to these brothers. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely. You know what I see here? I see that Paul needed someone to vouch for him. Anybody ever been in a situation where you could just really use somebody to vouch for you? Hey, no, really. No, I'm working hard here, but this is not working the way it should. Barnabas steps in and takes Paul and brings him there and verifies what Paul is in fact saying. What Saul is saying in this case. Speaking boldly. Can I just encourage you with something? That leaders and ministers, that your ultimate goal here doesn't just drop out of the sky. You don't just show up like Superman from Krypton and ta-da, there's, you know, insert the cool music here as your cape is flowing in the background. There's a process that has to be taken. We all need someone to vouch for us. Man, I can't tell you how many times that that Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric, Elder Baj and Elder Elder Charlie, I felt like they vouched for me. And even when I didn't feel like I should be the one doing something, I remember them being encouraging. I remember Pastor Eric speaking into my life and when I was a school teacher and a high school principal and saying, (laughs) yeah, that's not what you are. I'm like, well, that's what I am today. He's like, yeah, that's not what you are. He was vouching for me in cases where I couldn't even see what I needed, where I couldn't see what I needed. That's what we're trying to do for you guys as pastors. We're trying to look into you and say, Curtis, we know, we know that you're more than you even think at times. Gabriel Arias, we know that you are so much in Christ and we're going to fight for you even if people fight against us, even if they think we're trying to harm them. We're the ones that believe more in you than you usually do. When we're trying to chastise, when we're trying to rebuke, when we're trying to correct or train, you know what we're doing? We're saying that you're more than what you think you are. You've allowed yourself to settle into a lower place. You've allowed it to be where you don't have the right making. And we're saying, no, 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 that's not going to fly straight and true. You're not going to hit your mark like that. And you're going, yeah, but it's good enough. No, it's not. No, that's what we're here for. We're here to vouch for you. We're here to say, this takes development. We've got to keep working, and we all need it. Why do you think we believe so much in our team concept? Because we all need it. We all need to go, man, you can do this. Here's the word of God. You better stop doing that or you won't make it. All of that is part of the same thing. Barnabas is functioning here for Paul as a bow. He is taking him. He is putting him into the bow. There's a process that is being worked with. He is standing with Paul here when he needs someone to stand with him. What happens if Barnabas doesn't come and, and, and work on his behalf? I don't know, but at least in this story, he's not going to be accepted because they all rejected him already. Let's look at John. Uh, hold your place in Acts, but look in John chapter 8 and verse 16. John 8 verse, chapter 8 verse 16. It says this. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. 
I stand with the Father who sent me. Come on. We need people to stand by us. We need people to stand with us. Anybody ever had, uh, you're looking around for friends when it's really getting serious and you're the only one standing there again? It shouldn't be that, that way at this church. It's not going to be that way here. But I've been in that case a lot of times. Like, hey, here I am, and I'm, man, people are going to rally to my side, and I'm the only one there. Got crickets going in the background. I hear nothing. Jesus is saying, look, I'm, if I make judgments, it's right because I stand with the Father. You know what happens when we all decide to stand with the Father? We're standing with each other as well. We're able to call out purpose in people's life. We're able to call out those gifts. We're able to call out and say, don't you get discouraged in well-doing. For in due season, you're going to reap a harvest if you don't faint. Just don't faint. Don't give up. Don't quit. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 1. It says this, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Wow, what an indictment. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, Are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. What are they saying? Hey, these guys are just bows that are getting help, that are there to help you launch out. They have a purpose. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. They each have a purpose and each will be recorded, uh, rewarded according to his own labor. Man, if you're in a season where you're an arrow, be that arrow. You're going to get rewarded for being the arrow and flying straight and true. Once you've hit your target, what you're supposed to be developing into is someone who can help others hit their target. At times we're going to have to be focused on being a bow, having the right tension, being in tune with the Holy Spirit. You know, in Olympic, uh, exhibitions and performances, they're supposed to tune the actual bow. They have to tune it so that the right amount of force is used for the right rigidity of the arrow. By the way, the arrow, how firm it is, is called its spine. How much spine do you need is determined on how far the Lord is going to launch you. That there is a spine factor that you have to include when you're going to tune the bow. What an interesting piece. Let's turn back to Acts 11. I want to get back to Barnabas. Acts chapter 11. Let's look at verse 22. It says this. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Who did they send? They sent Barnabas. Barnabas, acting like an arrow in this case. 
When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Doesn't that sound like somebody who's called the son of encouragement would do? He was glad and encouraged them. I think of Chris Reyesora. Chris is one of the most positive, upbeat, happy. His shoes could be on fire. He'd be like, amen, I got happy feet. You know? At least my feet won't be cold today, pastor. It's incredible. He really, Chris, you really do. One of the most uplifting spirits of anybody maybe I've ever met, and I love it about him. Chris being who Chris is makes me want to be a better believer. It makes me want to help launch him even more. It makes me want to help him in every way possible. This is what Barnabas is doing. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. He wasn't seeking a title. Barnabas wasn't trying to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm trying to earn my keep and prove that I'm really Barnabas. He's working to fulfill his calling. He's working exactly where God has put him, his role, his station, his position in the kingdom. Let's look at verse 24. It says this, he was a good man. Everybody say good man. man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Would you have put this list in this order? Right? Would you have put this list in this order? This is the Holy Writ of Scripture. He was a good man. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, good man. I think I would have started off with full of the Holy Spirit. Maybe on a different day, maybe I'm going to say that he's a man full of faith. But what the Bible starts off with is, he was a good man. What an interesting thought. I remember, I remember many times in my life where I was wanting to, someone to notice that I was full of the Holy Spirit. And truthfully, I was probably just happy at the end if they noticed that I was a good man. <laughs> What about you and your witnessing at your work? Are you trying to show people sometimes this is the exact order that people may see you? If you hold true to what you say, if you're a good employee, if you do what you're supposed to do as an initial step, what are you going to get to prove? You're going to get to prove that you are in fact full of the Holy Spirit. That you are a man of faith. That you are a person who walks in faith. How can you see if someone is walking in faith? It's over the course of time. There has to be faithfulness over time. You being filled with the Holy Spirit, being full of power, that has to be seen over time. Barnabas is showing here that he is qualified on any level that you want to talk to him about. If you go to and look in Timothy, you don't have to turn there, but you see the qualifications for leaders in the house of God. You're supposed to have your home in order. You're supposed to have your finances in order. You're supposed to be able to teach. You're supposed to be able to encourage others. You're supposed to have hospitality. There are things that fall in the good man category. And Barnabas was all of those things. He is listed as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. He was very capable in his own right. Let's look in verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to do what? So let's go back to 22. Let me remind you of 22. News spread and it reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas. Barnabas sees what's going on. He realizes that this is something legit. And what does he do? He turns and goes, you know what? I know who would be perfect to come serve with me. I'm going to go get Saul. 
he goes to his hometown in Tarsus. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. There's those words again. Hey, you're coming with me. Let's go. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Hey, by the way, since we have uh, 26 up on the screen, so for a whole year, who's listed first? Huh. It's a bow and an arrow. You're going to list the bow before you list the arrow. Clearly one is designing, one is helping, one is sending out, and he's going to go get Saul. There was not a directive for Barnabas to go get Saul. He just decided and was like, I have the directive to go and reach these people. You know what would be great? Is if I take somebody along with me so that they're developing, so that they can be sent out too. He chooses to do this. Seeing the potential in others is an incredibly important call. You know who's really good at that? Elder Charlie is fantastic with that. Anybody ever been encouraged by Elder Charlie? With that impeccable wit that he has? Charlie's one of the funniest people I know, and he just does it in a real dry kind of good old way. And you're like, no, that was really, really funny. Just You can miss it because he's just so witty about it. Now, come on, let's, let's elevate it, boys. Let's, let's pull it up here. Anybody ever been encouraged by Charlie like that? Man, what an incredible thing. Seeing potential in other people is an incredible gift. I'm so glad that Charlie's here in this church. We need people like him who can see other people's gifting and believe in them when you don't believe in yourself, who can encourage you when you've been down. It's time to go against the crowd and invest in others. This is what your pastors see in you. This is what your elders try to do daily with you. This is what we expect you to do as well. To be able to find and to be able to be a bow for someone else's arrow. Let's turn to Acts chapter 12 and verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. What were there? Prophets and teachers. Who's listed first in this list? Barnabas. Simeon called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Come on now. Anybody remembered that? Just if you were going to, we know that he's supposed to be set apart. Usually the way I think about it is what? Saul and Barnabas is the way I say it in my head. The way the scripture says it is Barnabas and Saul. For the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. <laughs> Barnabas is the bow. Paul is the arrow. That's why it's mentioned first. It's kind of a top of the mind order of things. Turn with me to Acts chapter 14. We're just walking through the story here because things are about to shift. Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. It says this, In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth, and he had never walked. 
He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out. Anybody ever know someone who talks to you and they don't look at you in the eyes? It's awkward, isn't it? It's, a, it's an awkward thing when someone's talking to you and you're not sure if you should just... Now? Now are we good? Okay. They look away. That's kind of what I want to track and do with people. Paul looked at him. Come on, we got to be able to look at each other. You've got to be able to look at somebody and see what's going on around you. My daughter was uh, wanting to come work out with us the other day. And she got up and said, Dad, I'm going to go get dressed so I can go work out with you. And I looked right at her and did not hear one word that she said and went and got in the car and left. Dad, are you still here? Dot, dot, dot. I was like, no, and it worked out. Oh, okay. I, I said I wanted to come with you. Oh, yikes. I, I, I was there in, in, uh, in the flesh, but I was not there. I had 48,000 thoughts going through my head, and she literally said something to me, and I had no idea. I mean, I know that I'm the only one that that's ever happened to. I know that no wife has ever spoken to her husband. I told you. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No husband has ever looked at his wife and said, I need you to do this. And then it, what? I don't know what you're talking about. All right. These are silly examples. How about when we're looking at each other here in this place? If we're looking and thinking as bows and arrows, how about we're looking at each other and we actually be in the moment with each other? Because you don't know what your words might need to be for that person. You might need an encouragement. They might need an encouragement. They might need something to whisper in their ear that says, go, because it's time for you to do this. Quit waiting on this area of your life. Go do it. Paul looks at him. Looked directly at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed, and called out something. Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker. Um, Barnabas they called who? Out of Zeus and Hermes, which is the more important of the two in the Greek pantheon? Clearly. I think we have a picture just to help you to understand this. Here's a picture of Zeus. That we will now show you. Yeah, we should have covered the beard too, huh? In all of its glory. Zeus, the king of the gods. That's what they called Barnabas. 
Do we have a picture of Hermes as well? Hermes, the messenger, often with the winged shoes. Nike, your Nikes. He's holding a medical symbol there because he was supposed to come and bring messages from the gods, healing from the gods. He'll sometimes have a helmet with winged sides on them. Can you do the one last picture? This is a little bit difficult to see, so I'll just tell you. This is a family tree. Right in the middle is Zeus. Shows his positioning among the gods. Down at the bottom left, right at the tree trunk, is Hermes. And it says that he is the God's messenger boy. How do you look at that story when you hear that Paul heals somebody and they call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes? Don't you, I, I think about it differently than what it, what it appears that they were actually trying to say. Because what does it say? Paul was the chief speaker. You know what we think as Americans? That means he's number one. It's not true. What would Hermes do? He's a tie, he was tied to that medical idea. Paul brought healing from the Lord. Whose healing would he have brought? In this case, if they're calling him Hermes, he was saying it was Barnabas's. It was Zeus's healing that he just carried out. The secular people there thought that Barnabas was the head guy and that Paul was number two. It's not how we think about it, though, is it? Why? If I asked you, if I would have asked you before this started, tell me the, the top five people in the Bible that you would want to be like. Moses, Paul, Jesus. Of course, Jesus, right? I, I bet you there would not be hardly anyone in this room who would ever go, I want to be so much like Barnabas. I want to be a son of encouragement. Really? Why? Because we wouldn't picture him as a Zeus. We would picture him as something else, as a, as a, somebody whose beard is almost as glorious as Baj, who's just like a good old uncle to you. Do you remember what they called when they were fasting and praying? They said that there were prophets and teachers and they listed Barnabas first. He was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was an apostle. And he was a bow that launched out other people. Come on, this is the kind of church that we want to build up the idea that you should be working towards being a Barnabas. You should be working to see if you can become a bow in other people's lives. I've seen Pastor Eric do this for years. I've seen Pastor Matt do this for years. I've seen our elders do this for years. What about you? What about me? Are you doing this? Are you able to shift and leave the worldly thinking behind that says there can only be one superstar? You know why we're worried about someone else launching someone else? Because we want to get the credit for hitting the bullseye. In a scenario, when you're shooting an arrow, you've got the archer, you've got the arrow, and you've got the bow. What is our tendency? We will focus on the arrow because it's being launched, or we will focus on the archer because he's the one launching. You know what we very rarely think about? But how do you accomplish this without this? And what good is a bow unless you have arrows? Come on now. Where are you today? 
Are you thinking that you're worried about getting credit for things? That if somebody surpasses you, that it's a bad thing? Are you trying to be called Hermes and not know? I mean, what, what is going on here? This is an incredible passage that they see. They actually try to bring sacrifices because they so believe. It's not just a statement that they make. They actually believe it enough that they bring sacrifices and they have to work very, very diligently to keep them from worshiping these two men. Man, we only have one. We've got to get rid of this singular superstar mentality. We're working hard as a church to do that. If you show up at Pastor Matt's house, you may not even know that there are other pastors in the church. Not that he would hide it, but you get everything you need from the Piro house. Chris was here and came for a couple of weeks before he even knew that Pastor Eric was part of the church. Pastor Eric was around the world at that moment. Both being an arrow and being a bow simultaneously. And Chris came for at least two or three weeks, I think. I think he came right when Pastor left and fell in love with Jesus. And you might not know it around that. This is what we're working towards is to get away from this idea. Luke sixteen fifteen. let me just quote it to you. It says, he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Man, that idea of, of being a superstar, of being having the glory of hitting the bullseye for your own glory is a wicked, worldly, detestable thought in God's eyes. Let's look at Acts 14. Let's go to verse 21. It says this. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. You must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. We have a shift, don't we? Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. The shift is happening as Paul is ready and beginning to launch and raise up other people to launch out. Let's look in chapter 15, verse 36. It says this, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, his cousin, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. You know what Barnabas is doing in there? He's deciding that he's not going to coast, but he's going to continue to contend for the kingdom. He's going to do what he had always done and work on raising up someone else to launch them out. He didn't rest, but he did what a bow does. He was looking for someone else to launch out. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul takes Silas because Paul was learning how to be a bow as well. He was learning how to send, raise up and send out. You know who else ends up on this trip? Timothy. It works 
that the Lord used us as the great archer. He is allowed to send us where he wants, but in the meantime, we're working to fulfill our purpose. That is the goal. This is how we move from man-made machines to generational ministries. This is how we move from the idea of that it's got to be our glory and to the fact that we are working for his glory. That others may reach their purpose. That your kids may reach their purpose. That they may excel. That we've had an opportunity to be the arrow. We are doing and will continue to do what he is desiring. But we want to be the bow that sends others out. We want to be the one that encourages, that helps, that lifts up, that believes in, that speaks to, that helps correct wrong flight patterns. This is what we are supposed to be as a church. Not as an individual But as a church, we are supposed to work to this end. People who are capable in their own right. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. Let's start in verse 15. 2 Kings 13, 15. Elisha said... Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Wow. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. That's an interesting thing to see a a prophet placing his hands on the king's hands while his hands are on the bow. And we need a a prophetic anointing to go on our hands while we're reaching out to others. Open the east window. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory. Come on, isn't that great? Come on, he's going to send you out and you're going to be representing the Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. Okay, the bow thing worked out well. Take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He took the arrows. And he strikes the ground three times. The man of God was angry with him. And said, you have struck the ground. You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. What's the point of this? We don't want to just send out one or two arrows in our time. We don't want to just send out one or two works from this church. We don't want your life to have a victory or two, maybe three, and we call it done. What we want to see in your life is that you are constantly striking the ground. We want to send hundreds of arrows all over the world. We want you to have hundreds and hundreds of victories in your families. Hundreds of things that you are conquering. Those things that you didn't think that you could do, that God is with you. And He will help you. And He will save you. And He will cause you to be victorious. That is what we want here. Is that we don't just decide, well, I got a little victory. Come on, I just started speaking in tongues last week. That's pretty good, right? That's an arrow. Praise God. We want you to have all of the victories that you need and enough to be launched out around the world. 
We want every area of your life. We want you to be like a Barnabas who continues to reach back in the quiver and continues to launch people and go for another one and continue to launch and go for another one. And you're constantly being successful. You're constantly hitting the target for what God has put before you. But you know what's necessary? The striking is necessary. God, why do y'all have to do it this way? Isn't there an easier way? No, there's not. That friction, that striking is what God responds to. He sees that when you're suffering, you're faithful. He sees that you're crying out to him when you don't feel like you have what it takes, but you're trusting in him to make you have what it takes. You're trusting in him that he will get you where you're supposed to go, that he, you're trusting in him that he will help you to get other people where they're supposed to go. There's a forming that is required in this. The glory of an arrow is the target that it knocks down. <laughs> That's what you're thinking about. It's just hitting the bullseye. Hit that target. What's the glory of a bow? The arrows that it can send out. Amen. The glory of the bow is the arrows that it sends out. <laughs> and we're always working for the glory of our archer who is always victorious in battle. Let's turn back to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Let's look at verse 3. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from Him. Like arrows... And the hands of a warrior. When we read that earlier today. Were your thoughts on the arrows? Perhaps you've thought deeply about it and you had the hands of a warrior. I'm just encouraging you today of the missing piece of that. Of that partnership. That we need some people who are going to be bows in this place. Turn to Colossians chapter 4 as we get ready to close. Colossians chapter 4. Let's look at verse 10. says this, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Who's this speaking here? This is Paul, right? As does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. I thought we had a situation here where they parted so sharply because of this that they parted ways, that Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Yeah. And now look. By the way, Mark sends his greetings. And just in case you didn't know which Mark I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Make sure that you understand that we've grown past any other point. We, are, we have accomplished what the Lord is accomplishing, wants to accomplish in us. <laughs> Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus called Justice, 
proved to be a comfort to Paul. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. <laughs> Look at what the next verse says. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's in the area of Turkey. He's saying what he took from Barnabas and learned and had other people vouching for him. He's saying, oh yeah, I'm going to vouch for this other guy. I'm going to vouch for these people. You can find Paul's writings at the end of many of his letters with long, extensive lists of people that he's saying, yeah, greet them for me. These are people that I care about. These are people that I am working and raising up to be in the quiver of the heavens that they may be launched out rightly. But you know what he doesn't do? (laughs) He doesn't worry. Paul, in this case, doesn't worry about anybody getting the credit. Barnabas is not fighting for credit. We're only fighting that Christ get the glory. Are you focused on being in the hands of the great warrior? Are you focused on hitting your purpose today? Are you focused on this? Or are we focused on taking the credit? Are you worried about what other people may think or what they may say? Let's stand to your feet so that we can close together. As you're here today, we have so many people in so many different places in this room. We have some who need salvation. We have others who are working towards being an arrow and shooting right and true and hitting the mark that God is preparing for you. And yet others still should be focusing in on being a bow to help others launch to their purpose. I'm going to ask that Pastor Eric come join me up here on stage. As Pastor Matt's here with us, it's our desire to see the Lord of all creation touch in your life. Whether you're going to function as an arrow today or a bow, we're praying that he move upon your heart that you might be in his hands, that he might launch you, that he might be able to utilize you for his great kingdom. Would you pray with me now? Mighty God, we come before you. Lord, would you help us even now? Lord, for those in this room, Lord, may they fly straight and true. Lord, would you move upon us by your Holy Spirit that we might not have just a religious exercise, Lord, but that you would move upon our hearts. Lord, that you would be able to launch those from our midst, Lord, who need to go, Lord, who need to hit their mark. Lord, those of us here, Lord, who have marks that we must hit by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us today. Lord, for those of us, Lord, who must learn to be to know what it's like to be a bow in your hands, Lord. 
that we might learn to launch others out, Lord. Help us today, God. Help us today and move upon our hearts, mighty one. I want to encourage you now as we have a time of worship that you might let your hearts respond rightly to what the Lord is doing that you might respond rightly to his call to you today that the Lord of all creation may move upon you that he will that you will reach out to him as he is calling to you today Acts 4:37 shows how we become a boat Joseph a Levite who the brothers called Barnabas took property that he sold and he came and set it at the apostles' feet. The bow is not concerned with glory. He's not concerned with what he can get. He's not concerned with anything that could be called selfish. All he's concerned with is propelling others forward. That's what this ministry is. And those that we send out and we put emphasis on that we're sending them out to become bows, not arrows. More than 80% of this church, you were, you were sent here. And you were sent here that you might divest yourself of anything you could have pride in. Divest yourself of anything that you could call your own. And lay at the feet of the Lord everything that would propel others forward. That's our calling. It's our job. As you contemplate your response to Pastor Wade's message, I want to encourage you. You may have to lay something at the Lord's feet that you've been holding on to. You may be just a little too concerned about what your future looks like when your job this very moment is to participate and hundreds of arrows that are going to go out through the generations right here in this room. It is a mistake to be thinking in 20 years I'll be on another continent when there are people right now whose lives depend upon you sending them to the target they're supposed to hit this month. There is nobility in the ministry of the both. In the hands of a warrior is Psalm 127. The sons are like arrows. The arrows are the immature ones. The arrows are the ones that haven't done it yet. The bow is the one that is causing them to be able to do it. Our prayer for you is that you have a Barnabas heart. That you become warriors. That you send people around the world for the gospel. And around the workplace and around the city. If you need to correct your view of that, please do it. Please do it today. Because that's where this flight is going. And we don't want to leave you behind. 
If you're in the room today and you thought, man, I, I like Pastor Wade. I think that's an, a, an interesting message and I feel a stirring in my heart, but I don't really understand all of that. You might need to be breathed on by the Holy Spirit. You might be living, but not really alive. You can be born again today. If you're a Christian your whole life, but you've been a Christian concerned about what Christianity does for you and to you, you've missed the entire point of Christianity. It's about what you can do for others and what God will do through you. If you need to be empowered with God's Spirit, don't be shy. Just come and say, I need that. I'm going to make you a commitment. 100% of the people that ask to be filled with God's Spirit today, if you're willing, He's willing. You'll be filled right here publicly. It's no problem. If you want to be saved, you can be saved today. And if you're saved and Spirit-filled, but you, your life's ambition is not propelling others forward, you're still a little too me-focused, you can carve that out today. One way or another, we're going to walk out that door Warriors with bows and arrows. And we're going to put the enemy to flight. That's what you're called to. When we begin to pray, I'm going to ask you to do something. We're not going to close our eyes. We're not going to bow our heads. We will not raise one cowardly pinky. If you need to do something, you rush to the altar of God. You rush right there. And you do business with the Lord right there. And you stand up proud and tall. The sons of God are those that repent. Stand up proud and tall and then you walk off from the altar like a warrior. No more shame. No more bowing your head and dragging yourself around like miserable people. Instead, you know that you're in right standing with God. And you stand up ready to go put the enemy to flight. That's your option today. From the second that Matt begins to sing and I begin to pray, don't you dare look to your left or right to see if somebody else responds. Either the Holy Spirit is dealing with you now or he's not. And if he is, you run here. And if you won't run to the altar when God himself calls you, then what makes you think he'll ever call you again? place with your presence push out everything that doesn't belong come and deal with your people lord you are exalted here you were on the throne and we honor you we worship you in this place come and have your way jesus come into this place in power you sit so on the throne